Today, we are embarking on a two-part journey into the world of animal communication and the profound human-animal connection with our guest, Jeannie Joseph, President and Executive Director of the Human-Animal Connection Organization. Welcome to Animal Empathy, where we decode the language of animals for deeper connections. I'm Paloma Berci, your host and an animal communicator since 2001. Join me as we explore heartwarming stories, unspoken bonds, and the magic of truly understanding our animal friends. For more about me, visit speciespace.com. Let's dive in together on this wild journey. Today we have a very special guest, Jeannie Joseph, PhD, a certified trust technique practitioner, dog trainer, and the president and executive director of the Human Animal Connection Organization. We crossed paths through our shared interest in podcasting. Jeannie is a dedicated advocate for the Human Animal Connection with numerous accolades and a strong background in animal welfare. Welcome to the show, Jeannie. Please introduce yourself and can you tell us more about the Human Animal Connection Organization and its mission? Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here with you and your audience. The Human Animal Connection is a nonprofit organization, and we bring people and animals together for the healing of both. So we are interested in not just human healing, but the animal healing, and not just animal healing, but the human healing. And our methods really involve the notion of we heal together. You know, it's kind of a it's a relatively modern idea in modern history that therapy should be one person sitting in a room talking to one person, you know, <laughs> but what really therapy happens in the context of, of reality of life of, of the ecology of the world. And so when people and animals come together, there's a level of healing that's possible that I think is really important because it goes beyond words. Right. Sounds very holistically. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very holistic approach. So we've worked with over 4,000 service members and we work with high school students and our our high school program is called Canines Teach Compassion. And we get over 62% reduction in stress levels from just one hour of interaction with our therapy dogs. And it's in our class, it's not just cuddling, although cuddling is, is a very good thing. It, it does a lot just by itself. But we add a curriculum that helps kids uh, really understand emotions, understand the emotions of dogs, understand their own emotions, understand how to recognize stress levels in both dogs and themselves, and also to begin to reverse the stress cycle. So that's pretty fun. Yeah. And, and animals also mirror us a lot. They do. They do. And so what we teach them is a 10 scale, how to recognize uh, stress in the dogs first. A 10 would be a dog, you know, it's dangerous. You're going to get a bitten. You know, we never want to see that, but it does happen in, you know, in reality. Mm. And one one is completely peaceful. You could make a dog a noise, drop something. The dog would just maybe open his eyes for a second and go right back to sleep, you know. <laughs> so we teach the kids to recognize it in the dogs. And then we show them that it's the same thing for them. And then when we, you know, when we're working with the kids, we'll say, okay, so what's Bailey right now? And they'll look over at Bailey and they'll say, well, he's about a six. And I say, okay, great. What are you right now? I'm about a six. Okay, let's do a little process. So we do a little, little intervention, a little um, mindfulness or meditation or another technique that we do. And I say, so what are you now? And 
well, uh, well, I'll say, what's, what's Bailey now? And Bailey's a four. And I, what are you? Well, I'm a four too. And so they see the connection between how energy is contagious. You know, if the dog gets stressed, we get stressed. If we get stressed, the dog gets stressed. Right. But it works, it works the other way too. If we get peaceful, the animal gets peaceful. So we start to see how emotions are energy and how they're contagious and how they can work to influence each other positively or negatively. And it really, especially when we work with the soldiers, because sometimes the soldiers are not interested in talking about their experiences or their emotions or whatever, but they're very interested in seeing what the dog, what the dog is feeling. And the idea that they could change the dog's experience is very compelling to them. They're willing to let go of their own stress to help the dog feel better. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And so that's one of the ways that we work with the soldiers. And you you also do animal communication, don't you? I do. I do. You know, I don't have as much experience as you have with that, but I do communicate. I think it's, you know, animals are communicating all the time. It's just a matter of whether or not we're listening. And uh, so I am, I would say a student of animal communication. I, I, I use it with my clients in my sessions. Sometimes we'll hit a training obstacle. Somebody will call me for a training problem, quote unquote. And, hmm. you know, the, the training isn't working and they've been to multiple trainers. And I say, well, let's let's just ask the dog and see what the dog has to say. <laughs> yeah, because you know, sometimes they have an insight that we wouldn't have thought of that helps us understand the behavior. And so in our work, the human animal connection, it's based on 33 principles. And one of our methods or one of our principles is the idea that animals have opinions. And mm. when we say that, you know, we we recognize that they have thoughts, they have feelings, they have desires, they have things they like, things they don't like. And by coming from that mindset is very different from coming from the mindset of I'm I'm a trainer, I'm going to make you obey me, which is the old method, you know, the old fear right. and coercion method and and uh, you know that it might temporarily work those methods but they don't work long term. And it's really interesting because the army that, you know, they they train animals for bomb detection for, you know, really life life saving skills, you know, and there's no room for error that dogs have to have a, you know, over 95% accuracy rate in order to be qualified to be in their, in their bomb detection squads. And so they used to use the old style methods. And what they discovered was that the positive training methods were 300 times more effective than fear and coercion. Because positive methods are based upon strengthening the bond between the person and the dog. And when the, do when the bond is good, the dog has a desire to cooperate. The dog can understand what it is that you're asking for. And we can understand if the dog is saying, no, I can't do that. I'm scared of that or whatever it is, if we're paying attention. So we call it relationship training in our work because we're interested in the relationship primarily. And obedience is a byproduct of a good, healthy relationship with good communication. Yeah. And I also think um, trust. So if, if the animal trusts you, then it will do what you ask him or her to do. Exactly right. You know, without trust, relationships are not as, as good as they can be. And the higher the level of trust, the higher the quality relationship. So the better the communication, the higher the trust. The higher the trust, the better the relationship and the better the behavior will be. So it all starts with that. And in fact, we go one step even earlier. We say it all starts with safety with the animal feeling safe. And, you know, I really learned this from volunteering at the shelters and working with the traumatized animals, animals that really 
did not have a chance of getting adopted because they were just too frightened to make eye contact, couldn't be touched, didn't want to interact, didn't want to take a treat, didn't want to engage, didn't even want to go out of their kennel. You know, they didn't even want to mm. go out, you know. And what I realized is that that their safety tank, you know, using the metaphor of a gas tank that could be either all full or empty or anywhere in between, we have like metaphorically a, a safety tank inside us. And when the safety tank is low, there's no trust. Right. And it's not a, it's not about the other person. It's not about how good I am or how good my intentions are. If the animal doesn't have their own sense of safety, they can't receive, you know, what I'm offering. They can't register it as positive. It's scary to them, even my presence. So I have to start way back at the beginning and help them restore at least a certain level of safety so that then they can begin to trust so that then they can receive the healing. Right. How do you do that? <laughs> that's our method <laughs> yeah so I've written a whole book about it and I go through step by step how to do that but basically we use what we recognize that in the animal world every movement is a communication so like I of course if you're watching me on zoom you could see that I just raised my hands and that's an event in dog language they have to interpret that what does that mean is that good is that bad am I going to get a treat is she going to hit me what's happening you know so every motion is an event so one of the things that we work with when we're developing a sense of safety is we go into a state of very still body mind and heart so not only are we still physically like a statue of course we're breathing of course but but we don't move our eyes you know we don't even go left right with our eyes we keep because that's a, an event again in dog language and dog communication they have to interpret what does it mean she's looking over there is there something over there you know right so we keep tremendous stillness and even mental stillness so it's about getting peaceful and again working with that same principle of emotions being contagious what i'm going to do when i'm working with an animal that's not safe i'm going to get myself very still and peaceful i'm going to get my breathing very steady not going to make eye contact not going to talk to the dog not going to approach and what i'm going to do is i'm going to get myself into a peaceful and uh, place a calm place and that is very calming for a dog when i get peaceful they feel that peace and they start to go, oh yeah, I remember that sensation. You know, I remember, I reckon my nervous system can respond to that. So even without doing traditional therapy where we're talking about the problem, they're just simply responding to the change in the energy, the frequency of, of calmness and safety. And that is contagious. And what begins to happen is that they begin to feel it for themselves. And then we just build on it. It's a very slow process that we go step by step. I mean, uh, I'm going to make it faster, but I might like say, toss a treat, not not at their face, but where they have to just move their head, you know, three inches to the right to get that treat. So not right at them. And then, uh, you know, I'm going to slowly begin you know, decrease the distance that I'm going to throw a treat that's, you know, in between me and, and the dog. And then pretty soon they're eating out of my hand. So I'm condensing it, but I go through, I go through the book and all the step-by-step -step process. But right. basically, what's, what's the name of the book? It's called The Human-Animal Connection. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's available on, on Amazon. And next month it will be available as an audiobook. So people who like to listen to audiobooks will be able to do that next month. So, Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Probably by the time your podcast is out on the air, it'll be available as an audiobook. Yeah. Definitely, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. That's lovely. And it really all starts with us. So we... Yeah. We are the key, really, because, and I always say, the reason why it starts with us and it's it's us that have to start the process is because animals live in our world right. and they 
there are lots of things they don't understand, but they don't understand it not because they're stupid. It's because they don't have the means to understand all the things that are going on in our world. So they really need to look at us to understand what's going on. And, and we need to guide them. So it's really our responsibility to to guide the animals in our world. Exactly right. You know, and, and the, one of the most important ways we guide is through our energy, you know, because they sense that. They sense, you know, Sophia, my dog, if I'm getting a little tense and stressed and moving too fast, getting ready to go, I'm running a little late or something, she'll look at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> you <know? laughs> like right. what? You know, I don't like it when you do that, you know, and if I'm paying attention, I'll, I'll go, okay, maybe I'll just slow down. If I'm 30 seconds later, it's okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, it, they are paying attention to our energy even more than our words because they are reading it in our body language and our tone of voice and our pace and our distance and everything. They're, they're reading things that we're not even paying attention to. You know, we're just going about or getting ready or whatever, but they are going, wow, she's got this tension going on. I don't like that. That's uncomfortable. And That's she would right. much rather have me be peaceful. And you know what? I would too. I'd rather leave in a peaceful state and be a minute later, but leave peacefully and not drop anything or have to go back and forget something, you know? So they really are wise that way because they see the wisdom in peace. I mean, I guess wisdom is a word we would use, but they enjoy the peace and they respond to it. And they, if they're, if we're paying attention, I mean, she's not barking at me when I'm being stressy. She just sitting there, look at me a certain way, like what, you know, if I'm not paying attention, I might miss that signal. So it's, it's very much about us being aware of what they're feeling and communicating as a way of reflect as a reflection, what we're feeling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what inspired you to found the human animal connection organization? I was working with soldiers. I was uh, teaching a college course for the military. And this was the very beginning of, of the, of the war, you know, 2000. And I saw that they weren't getting the help that they needed. And I was seeing 21 year olds who couldn't sleep, who no longer had the ability to sleep. And I, you know, they would, they were just getting no help. And I had started this program called Act Resilient, which uses laughter and improv comedy and all this great stuff. It was very effective. We were getting over 80% reduction in the symptoms of PTSD. And a couple of years into that program, I started bringing in therapy animals. And when I saw what the dog could do in 10 minutes, I said, wow, why am I working so hard? You know, <laughs> I mean, what I was doing was working, but it was just the, the dog could sometimes reach people who were just completely shut down and their hearts were just, you know, behind a steel vault and income. I had this one dog that I rescued from the shelter. This was when I was living in Hawaii and he had been, in a terrible, he had escaped. I won't tell you the horrible details, but it was horrible. He had escaped from a horrible situation. He was like a prisoner of war and um, he'd been trained to be a hunter and oh, it's just awful. Okay. So he, he was at the shelter and he was a pit bull. I don't know. Do you know that expression pit bull? In, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so he, and he had scars all over his body, missing teeth, but he was the sweetest, kindest, gentlest soul. I mean, he just had this amazing ability. And I would be working with a, a group of soldiers sitting in a circle. He'd go around, say hello to each one. He knew who was afraid. He would skip the person who was afraid. And he would sit down right in front of the person who was most in trouble, who most needed the help. And he just had the ability to sense who really was needing 
love. And it was amazing. I mean, he was always right. I mean, I didn't always know who was suicidal because in those days they wouldn't talk about it, you know, but um, Oscar always knew. And that just really got my attention. I said, you know, this is this is my work. This is what I want to do. And it was so beautiful to see people just get down on the people who weren't talking, get down on their belly and just, you know, cuddle with him. And they <laughs> loved him because they felt the camaraderie of this fellow prisoner. I would tell them they're his story, you know, and they just loved it. And I thought, you know, this is it. So that's really changed the 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 shape of my work. I still do the act resilient work with veterans, but um, the work with the animals with and it wasn't just dogs. It was cats, horses, donkeys. We you know we do we work with all kinds of pigs. You know any animal has the potential, but some animals this is their sole purpose. Not all animals have this as their sole purpose. Yeah. Right. Yes. No. That's that's true. There are animals that love to be a therapy dog or cat mm -hmm. or whatever. And then there are other dogs or cats or whatever animal that say, no way, no, no, I'm not going to do that. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's maybe about 20%. I mean, that's not a scientific number, but just in my observation, about 20% of dogs are really interested in doing this work. So it's a small number, but the ones that really want to do it, they are amazing. Their ability to read human emotions and to the desire to give comfort is really extraordinary and it's it's such a gift to meet a dog like that right and but i also think we really should um honor the animals that don't want to do that that's right, that's right. Know, to, because i've had people calling me saying i want to go to a course so that my dog becomes a therapy dog but somehow it's not working. Can you tell my dog to cooperate? <laughs> well, I'm sorry, you've got the wrong dog. If you want to do therapy, you know, with your dog, your dog is not up for that. So that's right. That's right. We see that all the time. You know, in fact, we we created a whole Zoom lesson called "Could My Dog Be a Therapy Dog?" and it kind of explains what uh, what a good therapy dog will be like. And it's not every dog. Not every dog has that purpose. Just like every person, not every person wants to be in you know a social worker or a doctor or a nurse or whatever because it's not their calling. So it's the same with animals. It is our job to accurately read. And so the dog probably said to you, "Could you tell my human I'm not a therapy dog?" Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and sometimes we we do have to tell people i'm sorry i know you love your dog he's wonderful but this isn't his purpose this isn't this isn't his calling or her calling <laughs> right i mean i remember that dog telling me well i'm totally okay if she wants to go and see elderly people but i don't <laughs> yes yes i know i know there was one other i forgot who this was another animal communicator not me but she had two cats and she wanted them to to be therapy cats and go to the visit the old people and you know at first the first visit was okay the second was okay by the third visit they wouldn't even you know they knew where she was going they wouldn't come and finally they said that to her said yeah you know i'm tired of these old people yeah <laughs> these two cats just weren't they didn't it wasn't their mission and i i have met great therapy cats will sit there all day long and just you know you can pet them and it's not their favorite thing as a cat but you know they are okay with it, but other cats, that's just not for them. And same with dogs, the same with every animal. There are horses that make great therapy horses. And I've seen lots of horses that people call therapy horses and they're not, you mm. know, they tell, they tell me this is not, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I'm not interested in people's stuff. You know, all that emotions that people have going. Right. 
yeah. you know, it's, it's, so one of the things we do is we, we have a, in our program, we never let dogs work for more than an hour. And sometimes we'll get requests. Can you come for two hours? You know, like we've gone to Amazon to help with the workers or, you know, help them with their stress. And they want us for two hours and sometimes more because that's, they do the shift change and everything and they want two hours. And Sophia is like, you know, I took her because she's a therapy dog and she was fine for the first hour. You know, everyone could pet her. She get, took treats, was a sit, do her little tricks and all. And then she was done. <laughs> and I just said, I'm sorry, I got to go. Right. <laughs> my, yeah. And that's good. Yeah. yeah. Because we, we say only an hour. And when we work with the kids, only an hour and sometimes a little less. And we have some dogs. We had one greyhound. She was elderly and she was so sweet. I mean, she would look at you and you would melt. I mean, she had this amazing ability to just touch you in such a deep way. She had about a 20 minute window and then she was done, you know, with the kids. Right. So she would come in and just, you know, be extraordinary and change lives and, you know, people unforgettable. And then she was done 20 minutes. So we said to her person, yeah, just go, just go. There's no, you know, there's nothing to be gained from going past her limit because then it would just become a negative experience. It would become draining. So she had the ability to give beautiful energy, but it was a short window. It was, then she would be tired. Other dogs can go an hour, some 45 minutes and you know, you just never, you can't tell by looking, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's until you get into the room, you don't know how they're going to respond. So, right. Can you explain the concept of honoring animal wisdom and, and how it relates to your work? Yes. So it's one of our guiding principles, honoring animal wisdom. The idea being is that, you know, for a long time now, humans, at least in so-called civilized society, have had the opinion that humans are superior, that we're the intelligent ones, we're the feeling ones, and we know better. And, you know, humans have intelligence, there's no question about it. But animals have intelligence that's beyond our intelligence in many cases. And and by right. rec recognizing that, we begin to under, you know, begin to uh, erase or erode the idea that humans have some sort of superior wisdom. We have the wisdom that we have, and bears have the wisdom that bears have, and giraffes have the wisdom that giraffes have. And, you know, all animals have wisdom. And from that point of view, A, we become more open to it so that we can receive it. And B, we become more humble in the sense of recognizing that we have the wisdom that we have and we lack the wisdom that we lack. And if we have the notion that all animals have wisdom, it's harder to mistreat them. Because if you see a little, you know, uh, there's a little bird outside my window, you know, it's like there's a reason this bird is stopped right outside my window right now. And I'm sure the bird will fly away in a moment. But that's a message to me, you know, if I'm paying attention to just say, hello, birdie. <laughs> right and see, yeah and see what see what's going on so honoring animal wisdom changes who we are as humans it it elevates us it it makes us wiser to recognize that every creature has wisdom and sometimes that wisdom is just what we need i always say animals are not here for us but with us that's beautiful that is beautiful yeah and yeah. that's you know the, humanity really needs to come back to that. And if you look at a lot of indigenous cultures, they understood that and that has gotten lost in modern times. And we need to get back to that because we are lacking in wisdom. That's how we got into a lot of the troubles that we have here on the planet here is that we have gotten separated from the wisdom of animals and it's time to reconnect. And it's not too late. It's late, but not too late. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and a lot of people say we need to go back to nature, but 
I remember I once talked to one of my animal mentors and he said, what do you want to go back to? You are part of nature. You don't have to go back to nowhere. <laughs> That's beautiful, right? We are animals, right? So all we have to do is remember. Right. You know, re reconnect with that wisdom. And when we open to animal wisdom, we expand our own human animal wisdom. It's just part of the experience of recognizing that we're all in this together. And each of us, you know, like the giraffe views the world from a certain position and an ant views it from another position, but they're both seeing things that are of value. Definitely. Yes. Tell us about the practical methods you've developed for intuitive and empathic communication between people and animals. So one of the things, the first principle is that animals respond to peacefulness. So if we're in a crazy busy mind, like how can I make my dog be a therapy dog? I want to take this class. And if the mind is going a mile a minute, the animal is going to not be able to understand what you want or not care about what you want or not engage with what you want. So the first step for the humans that we do is we teach them, give them methods how to get peaceful. And that's our human animal connection methods. And so from that peaceful state, I call it like tuning the dial on a radio. There's a certain frequency, like you might say, that's the animal frequency, right? There's the human frequency. I know what my thoughts are like, but then there's the animal frequency and I need to kind of tune down or tune up, whichever way you want to look at it, I need to find that zone. Where are the animals communicating? And in that zone, communication begins to open up. So we teach people how to do that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned the soldiers, that you have worked with soldiers. Mm -hmm. And I think you have developed a program, Heroes for Animals. Mm-hmm. How, mm -hmm. how does it help veterans and service members and what outcomes have you seen? Yeah, for those of you watching Zoom, that's Lulu. This is a, 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 a rescue dog from the shelter that we're fostering and probably going to adopt. <laughs> but she, she was a very difficult case. She was uh, a dog that in our shelter system, we have colored dots for to rate how difficult the animals are. And she was a purple dot, which is the highest level of stress in our system. And, it, it, you know, only staff members could walk her and they had to walk her with three leashes. And even with three leashes, she it was like reindeer pulling a sled, you know, so it was she just had a lot of issues. And um, she hadn't actually bitten people, but she had had three what we call air bites, which is like a snap where she doesn't make contact. But mm. so it does show bite in inhibition, but this was enough to get her a bad rap at the shelter. <laughs> and she's so cute. I mean, anybody would want her, but but she's a lot to handle. And she has a lot of she's been through tremendous adversity. I won't I'll spare the horror, but um, uh, she didn't trust humans. Humans were not somebody that she trusted and so i know i want to get to your other question in a second but just because she walked by I, some people might have seen her sure. if they're listening if they're watching so i wanted to tell you that's lulu and uh, she's made tremendous progress and we still have um more to go so we're still mm -hmm. we're still working but she has become she meditates with us every day and she loves the energy work like when it's time we we go i have a housemate so she'll go you want to do the energy work now and i'll go yeah and the dogs will go into position they get next to you know they sit on the couch <laughs> to meditate with us and you, it's very cute they just love it when we do that because they it's very healing for them they go ah this is good i like it when everybody's peaceful <laughs> mm. yes yeah, so now what did you ask me about the soldiers i forgot let's dive into your program heroes for animals how does it help veterans and service members and what outcomes have you seen 
So first of all, we want to make sure it's the right choice for the for the person and for the dog. So um, it wouldn't be right for someone who doesn't really want to have a dog in their life and ready to share a dog in their life. Uh, they don't have to be, you know, they can have PTSD, they can have all kinds of issues, but if they are ready to open their hearts and their minds and their home to a dog, we will go to the shelter with them and help pair them with a the dog. So what we're looking for, we have a hundred point system to evaluate the bond between a dog and a person. And we're waiting to see the dog say to us, yes, I want this person. This is my person. Mm. <laughs> As some dogs, some dogs are, when I was volunteering at the shelter I had just moved to Tucson and I didn't even have an apartment yet I was staying with friends and their one condition was no animals right because they knew what I did okay <laughs> they said you can come live with us but you can't have any animals right so I was volunteering at the shelter and this one little dog she was about you know 15 pounds had this huge cone on her head she was absolutely terrified being dragged by the shelter worker from one shelter to another. This was her, her third shelter. And she saw me and she literally leapt into my chest. You know, this is the first time I'd ever seen her. And yeah. she just decided that, you know, she knew she just assumed that I would catch her, which I did. <laughs> <laughs> right. But she just said, this is my person, you know, and, and like I I didn't have an apartment yet. I had to go get an apartment, you know. So, <laughs> you, you know, it's it's sometimes the dogs will really be clear about who they want. And when you get good at, you know, you get good at this, we have a hundred point system for evaluating. You begin to see even a scared dog who's not really ready to do that kind of thing like Sophia did, but there's something that's either working or not working in that bond. So we're looking to find the right bond. So when we find the right bond, then we will work with a veteran on our human animal connection techniques, which are basically helping him recognize stress in the dog, i.e. stress in the human, how to get peaceful, which helps the dog. And then from there, we begin the training program and we encourage them. It's not a requirement, but we encourage them to do therapy work. So to come back and work with the veterans and, and do that. So we're also looking for a dog that might have that potential, but if a dog doesn't have that potential, that's not a disqualification. That's just, you know, that's a double, double plus if if that becomes the work so um it's really beautiful because it helps people who have lost their way in life kind of find their way because every morning that dog needs to go out needs to eat needs love you know and a person who's feeling like they got nothing going and no desire to get anything going has to get going because that dog needs to get going and so right. it jumps it gives them like a jump start you know it gives them a uh if their pilot light is not you know on the stove the old-fashioned pilot lights the dog lights the pilot light the di the dog is like a spark for the force of living and they yeah. become more more engaged with life and through the dog you know it all becomes focused on the dog but through that then now they're out and about they're meeting people and you know good things just begin to happen because everybody's like oh can i pet your dog your dog's so good you know I, you know all that good things happen Good things happen when you have an animal in your life. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Yes, yes. And could you share a transformative story or experience from the Heroes for Animals program? So I had this one veteran and he was having a lot of trouble. You know, he had been uh, in uh, bomb detection. You know, he had had an animal 
in, in the military. And then when they get separated, unfortunately, they don't let them take their animals with them, you know, so then the animal gets traumatized because they get all of a sudden one day they get this new handler. The handler doesn't even get to say goodbye. Sometimes they're just gone. You know, it's just really awful what goes Aww. on. And so, yeah, so he was really heartbroken. And so we were working on getting him an, a new dog, a, a rescue dog, and it was going really wonderful. And I was showing him, you know, because this was someone who didn't want to talk about his experiences, which is fine. I'm not someone who thinks that you have to talk about trauma. You know, if you don't want to talk about it, you don't want to mm -hmm. talk about it. It's okay. So I showed him how when he got stressed, the dog got stressed. And what the dog would do when he got stressed, he was in this situation we're working on. He was on the floor and the dog just put his head on his leg. His leg was going, you know, bouncing leg, right? With all the trauma that he had. But the dog just put his head on it and it just, he stopped his leg and he was able to recognize. I said, did you see how the dog sensed that you were getting stressed? He said, yes. I said, don't you want the dog to be peaceful? And he said, yes, I do. And, you know, it just, it, it that was the whole turnaround for him was that he wasn't motivated to do therapy for himself, but he was motivated to give his dog the best life possible. And that really began his journey. Wow. Yeah. That's and nice. you know, sometimes, yeah, it's it's really beautiful to see how how the dogs work. They work in such a gentle way. You know, they don't judge you for your experiences, what you did or what you didn't do. They don't judge you for how you look. They don't judge you for what you've accomplished. They just want to feel your heart. They just want your essence. And that allows a soldier to find their essence again because there's a being who needs it. Right. Animals are not judgmental at all. So That's we right. can learn a lot from them. So much. You know, I mean, can you imagine life without the constant stream of judgment or everything that goes, you know, our society is like powered by judge. It's like a judgment economy. It's what runs the, it's right. what runs, runs advertising. It runs everything, you know. And so here are these beings who are not participating in that. They just simply see your essence. And we just did a program the other day with young children. Normally we work with high school students, but we had we were asked to go to this special school. And it was so beautiful. These kids just melted. You know, these were young kids. These were kids that were uh, five to seven, you know, that range. And it was just beautiful to see. They don't need any explanations. They just love. And the dogs just loved them back. It was very right. sweet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I once asked one of my dogs, why is it that animals can laugh unconditionally and humans have such a hard time with that or, or unable to do it? Yeah. And the answer was, we don't blame anybody. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Very nice. When we get into a situation where we don't want to be, we ask ourselves, how on earth have we put ourselves in that situation? We don't blame anybody. Right, right. Yeah, it's really beautiful to live without that whole kind of wavelength going, you know, that, you know, oh, it's so-and-so's fault or why didn't this happen? Or I blame myself or I blame someone else. It's it's just such a drain of energy. It's such a waste of resources. And, you know, the animals take us out of that blaming mode and put us into just receiving you know giving and receiving and it just opens our heart right yeah yeah and you also do work with horses so you yes. have a program healing with horses how do you enter the horses world and create a sense of peace there and with this thought-provoking question we are wrapping up part one of the interview the answer 
the magic and even more inspiring stories await you next week. Don't miss out on this journey of a lifetime as we dive deeper into the world of animals in part two. Your curiosity will be rewarded. Before we go, a quick request. If you have enjoyed this episode of Animal Empathy, please subscribe to stay in the loop for more magical insights. Sharing is caring, so spread the word to your fellow animal enthusiasts. And if you could spare a moment, leaving a review would truly mean the world. As we wrap up, remember this, life's most beautiful moments happen in the now. So stay present, embrace the magic, and keep those hearts open. Thank you for being part of our animal-loving community. Until next time, stay curious and stay connected.